from Daniel the fifth chapter. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to read spots and go and show you and do different things. I'm kind of going to use like a different format, if you would, of speaking than I normally would use. Usually, um, most of you listen to the message and do it kind of, we fall into habits of knowing what's going on and when that's coming next and what's the next part of it and all that stuff. And I know that happens because I know when I'm about two minutes done, from done, that I see everybody closing their Bibles, gathering the children, get ready to go to the bathroom, and sometimes that's even someplace I need to go first. It depends on how much coffee we had. But nonetheless, they start doing a lot of different things and shuffling around because we fall into habits sometimes. So let's do something a little bit different. Amen. I understand that after 50 to 60 minutes, it's kind of hard to sit still sometimes. So uh, this time I'll go a little bit longer than that, and you guys won't know when I'm going to end. But because, uh, because of me being here and speaking, if you would, at least 50 times a year for 16 years thereabouts, now you kind of get used to what I'm doing and everything else. Well, this morning is going to be different. Okay? Let's look to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll turn to Daniel, the fifth chapter. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, thankful for the word of God that leads and guides us into all truth. Help us to deliver a message that will challenge the hearts of your people, that, Father, will be exciting about what the word of God and spirit of God can do in our lives. Just help us to be what we need to be for you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today I'm going to just share a little bit different in a different way and when I'm finished we'll all hopefully be able to say you saw the handwriting on the wall all right that's the title the handwriting on the wall out of Daniel the fifth chapter probably all of you in your minds already have some ideas about where we're going and what's happening but I want to look at the first verse there we're going to go through the all 30 verses but some of them rather quickly and some of them have a lot of things in it we may not have even considered or, or looked at. But I want you to look in the first verse of Daniel, the fifth chapter. It says, Belshazzar, the king. Let's just stop right there. What was he the king of? He was a king in Babylon at that time. Who was his father? Nebuchadnezzar was his father. And his father has now, if you would, stepped off the stage of action and in those days and times the tradition was when dad was king and moved on son stepped up and became king there are still places like that in the world did you know that amen they've been waiting for about 70 or 80 years for the queen in england to pass on you know so somebody else could step up and she's hanging in there at about 99 years old or whatever she is uh, but it's not really a governmental job per se. It's kind of a, uh, sitting in the pockets waiting for, you know, they just got a different uh, hierarchy at what's in charge. All right. Now, if his father was Nebuchadnezzar, do you see the word Nebuchadnezzar? You'll find that in verse number two. See that? And then again, in um, the son's name's Belshazzar. Do you notice the last four letters of those two words are the same. You know, 
a dad sometimes passes on the name to his son that he wants him to have. Amen? Now, I've had three natural-born children to me, and I, will, I can distinctly remember them being born and me having a say in what their names was going to be. Now, it didn't happen the instant they were born. Their mother and I sat down, discussed the names, came up with names, agreed on the names, and then when she was born, uh, that was the name that hit the birth certificate. So here we have um, uh, these two guys, uh, if you would, having names that are similar and because they're in the same family. Now, I don't know who Belshazzar's son was because he never got to be king. Or even if he had sons, it's not listed. I don't know if he did or not. So I want you to look at one other name that's in here, and you will find that name uh, uh as the name that they gave Daniel. Daniel was not a Babylonian child. He was from Jerusalem. And when Nebuchadnezzar charged Jerusalem, destroyed it all, burnt down the walls and broke down the gates and pillaged the temple and stole everything that had value there and took it all back to, to Babylon with him, uh, those are the, the things that he took back also were some of the finest young men he thought had promise. Now, we can go back if you want, and you'll see where he calls his name out in verse number 12. He calls him Belteshazzar. The difference between the name he gave Daniel and the name he gave his son are actually spelled the same, except Daniel has a T and an E in the middle of his that makes it a little bit different. You know what he found out when he brought those Hebrew boys back? There was four of them, and they changed their names, all four of them. You can read that in the first chapter, verse 7. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. Of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the names they were given in Babylon. That was not their original names when they left Jerusalem. All right? Are you following me? You up to date? You got this in the notes? You all all those names wrote down? All right. So here we go. Um, we not want you to know that uh, uh, it actually says in uh, chapter 1, verse 7, that the eunuchs over those princes were the ones that changed their name. But all in all, you remember who the king is. So it's not that the eunuch got to name the children. That name came from higher up the hierarchy, if you want to see that that, that way. I think uh, it's kind of eerie when we think of all three of the people that are going to be, if you would, discussed in this particular portion of Scripture, all of them have the same last four letters in their name. Hmm. Well, two of them were kings. And the third one was a man who, when he, his king had an issue such as a dream he did not understand or got caught in turmoil, if you would. In this case, reading handwriting on the wall, didn't know how to do that. Each time they turned to the third ZZAR guy, this time it'd be Daniel or Belteshazzar, turned to him to take care of their situation. Both times Daniel's done this in the book of Daniel, well, three times actually, he was promised 
some positions in the kingdom, uh, special clothes to wear, gold chains around his neck. We'll get into all that because of the wisdom he had in interpreting dreams and interpreting the hand of God in the lives of the kings that he was uh, in influencing them over. So here we go. And both of these kings promised to promote him in the kingdom because of his wisdom with God. So now, let's point out one thing I noticed when I read the book with Daniel's name on it. It was not written in chronological order. In other words, it doesn't start at the beginning and go straight through as history would record it. You know how I know that? Keep your thumb in chapter 5 and turn with me over to chapter 7. Now, in chapter 5, verse 30, tells us that Belshazzar, that king, is going to die. Okay? So we have his death not only recorded, but that's when it actually came to pass. So, uh, but if you want to look at chapter 7, verse 1, it says in the first year of Belshazzar's king. Well, wait a minute. He Two chapters before, we already seen him die. So he's not lying to us about what took place in that year. Daniel's not lying to us. But he didn't write it as a chronological order as the events happened. Now look at chapter 8, verse 1. Should be right across the page in your Bible. Chapter 8, in the third year of Belshazzar. See, now, Belshazzar got to do a lot of things. You know, in the book of Chronicles, and most of you are probably that are reading through the Bible have already passed that, and a lot of times it said, and so-and-so died, and so-and-so became the king, and he was 22 years old, and he ruled as king for 27 years. We don't have any information like that on Belshazzar. We don't know how old he was when he became king. We don't know how old he lived. We don't know how long he was king uh, in uh, the city of Babylon and the country that his dad uh, was king over to start with. We don't know all of those situations, but it, it tells us in the scripture about his death and what goes on in that place. So when you read and when you get to, and if you read it according to your pocket, then you're not going to get there till the end of August. But now you could pull these notes out and remember, this book is not written in a chronological order. Amen? So as these things come to pass, they mean more to us um, as we understand what's going on. All right. For some reason, in verse number one, we'll go back there, this king made a feast. Now I've heard it said that it was his birthday. There's no evidence of that in Scripture. It just says he made a great feast. Why he made a great feast? Your guess is good as mine. And until we uh, get a hold of Daniel and get him to tell us why, uh, we won't know. But he did. He made it. And he invited a thousand of the, thousands of his lords to come in and feast with him. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in some big parties before, but I don't know if I've ever been in one where there were thousands. All right, especially not thousands of people that I thought was 
important or needed to be celebrated if you want to look at it that way. Really, I don't even know if it was a holiday or not or why he even called this feast. There's no evidence to it. But he thought it'd be a good thing to drink wine and celebrate with all these lords that he called to his feast. Good idea, don't you think? Well, we're going to find out it wasn't such a great idea. Little did he know this celebration would be his last one. Before you and I ever take time to celebrate about ourselves, if you would, we need to look and see how we stand before God and remember this celebration could be our last one. You just don't know. Amen? Especially if you're walking contrary to where God wants you to go. I don't think God has an issue with us celebrating. I don't think that's really an issue with God. Just make sure it's about God and not celebrating ourselves. Amen? The last birthday party I had was 11 years ago. I told Bonnie, don't need no more of them. And that was only because uh, uh, I turned 60 and she thought that was a big deal. It ended up being okay. I didn't want it to be about me, but whole, my whole family from Illinois and upstate Ohio, everybody was here and everybody wore bib overalls. That was the greatest thing that happened that day. And I haven't been able to preach in bib overalls since, brother. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, maybe. All right. All right, and then he says in this, in verse 2, it says wiles. You know, some of us uh, know about wild things happen, but a lot of us don't know it, that we've got many wiles we need to look at. While he tasted the wine, uh, the king commanded something. Hmm, he had had a few drinks. Probably was slipping away from sober, into another state of mind and he in that state of mind commanded now when the king of the country commands something how many options do you have not many amen we still have an issue with that in Washington DC we change presidents and the first thing they do is sign executive orders all day long for a week and a half to try to make themselves look better than the last president that was there. And it goes both ways, whether it's an R or D, it doesn't matter, you know, but they just want to move things. So the king commanded, and nobody disobeys a king. That's not a wise thing to do, because you know what happens when the soldiers have a sword, don't you, Rob? Amen. They know how to use it. Amen. If you think it's uh, a good idea to disobey a drunk king, Ask John the Baptist. All right. This, can't, this command was to go down to the treasury, get the gold and silver cups or vessels that his dad stole from God's house in Jerusalem after he stormed that city, killed many, captured the youth that appeared to be great candidates for his army, and spoiled God's temple stealing the silver and the gold and all the valuables that he could get his hands on that were in Jerusalem's temple. 
bring these cups to him, he said. So his wife was well, princesses and his wives. Notice his wives is plural. That'll get everybody in trouble when they're drinking too much. And his concubines, that they might themselves drink from those sacred cups that his dad had stolen. Evidently, there was quite a few of them. And in verse 3, it says, they brought the cups. Now, in the church, we know when it comes to they, it's hard to put your finger on who that is. I've been trying for 16 years to figure out who they is. And in some cases, I've got an idea. But, you know, you just never know. They said, they did, they whatever. I don't really know who they is. But in this case, they brought the cups and they drank from them. Then in verse 4, they shows up again. This time we have a better idea who they are. It was the ones that drank out of them cups. Who did he give them to? His princes, his wives, his concubines. They drank wine from them. And what else did they do while they were doing that? They praised the idols of Babylon, if you would, the idols of gold, silver, brass, iron, wood, stone, and if they'd had cement at that time, they probably had worshipped the idols of cement and whatever else you can build an idol out of. They'd have done it all. That's the way it works when you're drinking the wrong stuff. Amen? So while this ungodly party was going on, verse 5 says, in the same hour. You see, when God wants to move, it doesn't take very long. Amen? Especially if you're trying to make him look bad. Amen? What happened that same hour? Well, there came forth a finger of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick. You see, when God writes, he wants everybody to be able to see it and read it. So he put it by the candlestick where the light was. Otherwise, most parties, you ever notice this with parties and the, the major portion of that party is about drinking and getting drunk? The lights are always turned a little bit lower. It's a little bit darker. You know, you kind of have to feel your way around some of these parties that people are putting on. You ever been seen some of them? Yeah, that's just kind of the way it works. But not when God's writing on the wall. He does it right by the candlestick. It's like he turned a spotlight on so everyone could see it, especially the king, it says. Amen? So he wrote by the candlestick, and he wrote upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, right where the king lived, the place where the king could clearly see it, read it, and get a message from it. Now, I don't know what kind of language he wrote it in. I don't know what the spelling was. I don't know whether it was different, if you would, than the language. Now, I find it, to me, it really boggles my mind that I can't write a letter to people, um, younger people of my generation, in cursive. They don't know what I'm writing them. We, can't, we wrote a 
birthday card to a 10-year-old that reads great, straight-A student, can read anything except cursive. We wrote happy birthday to him in his birthday card. He had no idea what we wrote. Had to get it interpreted. Well, Daniel was on the scene, and I told him what it says. Amen? So here we go. I don't know what the language was or why the barrier, why the king could read it for himself and understand what it is. Well, I know what the reason is. It wasn't the language. It was his heart. Did you know that? Sometimes your heart has to be in the right position to understand what God's writing and have him give you what he wants for it. So the king saw the, uh, the part of the hand and he saw what that finger, if you would, wrote. He said, doesn't say that he saw an arm. Doesn't say he saw a person. Only the finger of a man's hand or only part of a man's hand. In reading that or in seeing that, verse 6 says that his countenance was changed. You ever been around somebody when their countenance changed? Their face went from their countenance changed. He knew he'd been caught with his hand in the cookie jar. He knew he was on the wrong side of what is going on here. He probably said, oh my goodness, or Valor would say, all right. Amen. I taught him to slap his knee. He's really good at it. Or you might even get, I don't even know how you spell it. I just put a note down here so I'd know. He might have said, uh-oh. How do you spell uh-oh? Oh, well. Uh-oh. It was an uh-oh moment for Belshazzar when he saw that finger right on the plaster of the wall. To say the least, he is scared. Now, the Bible goes through and talks about how scared he was, and his uh, thoughts troubled him. He couldn't make sense of what was going on. His joints were loosened. He was so upset. He probably was so weak that he couldn't stand or move or do anything physically in his body because of his countenance falling and, and how his joints and loins were loose. And it says even his knees were knocking. I don't know. He may even wet himself. I don't know. It doesn't say. But we can add to that because that's how scared he was at this point. He had never been this scared before in his life, probably. But when he saw the handwriting on the wall, he was not so much scared about the event, but he was more scared about what it meant to him personally. That goes for the rest of the crowd that was with him. To say the least, the party was over. Now, this was a sobering moment, not only for the king, the princes, the wives, the concubines, the lords, and anybody else that was there. Even they, whoever they is, probably thought that this was the time that we need to do something different. Amen? So, God knows how to sober up an individual even 
when he's not intoxicated. God knows how to get our attention. He knows how to hold our attention. He knows how to get his point across to us at any moment in our time. So in verse number 7, in a panic, under all this stress, under this countenance-falling situation, he calls for who? All those in the kingdom, uh, the astrologers, the Ch Chaldeans, the soothsayers, all the wise men of Babylon, he calls them all in. They, they probably weren't invited to the party, but now they get to come because he wants an answer. You know, have you ever had some, something on your mind so important you also want to ask anybody how to answer that question? You wanted to go to somebody you knew could take care of the situation. Went to the wisest person on that situation and how to get your situation handled. That's what he did. He went to them. He calls all the smart people. And to get their attention, he offers them a reward for anybody that can read that handwriting in the plaster on the wall and tell him what it means. That reward was in three ports. One, he'd clothe them in scarlet, the scripture says. Pretty expensive clothing. Not everybody could afford scarlet clothing. Most of them wore burlap or brown or whatever the, the common color was or even dust color because uh, most of them had one outfit and if it got dirty it didn't matter you had to wear it anyway amen so they were promised them that second thing he promised them was they'd have a gold chain around their neck that shows expense not everybody can can afford them I see some of you can amen put a gold chain around your neck but not everybody can afford that amen so uh, the third thing he said that he wouldn't be the third ruler in the kingdom now why did he say you would be the third ruler in the kingdom number one he's not going to give up his king's throne even after you tell him everything he wants to know and you prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt he's still going to be king who's going to be second in that throne well I would think it would be the queen isn't queen second okay or his son might be next to the throne because when the dad dies the son steps in the only problem with that is when the next son steps up he has all the privileges again to sign all the executive orders to disallow all the laws that the previous king did so even if you were appointed third in the kingdom and the number one seat becomes vacant number two steps up number three doesn't automatically get to move into number two because number one, then the new number one can just change it with a promise or a stroke of an ink pen. Amen. So here we go. When he made these uh, promises to that person that could read the writing on the wall, it sounds a lot like what King Saul told the children of Israel when they were on one mountain and the Philistines were on another mountain with a valley between them. And Goliath walked down into the valley and said, Hey, let's just do it one-on-one. -on -one. Saul, come on down here. Me and you's going to have it out. But he was scared to death of Goliath. 
until David come along. David said, what's the matter with you people? What are you scared of him for? I can whoop him in nothing flat. So he got some stones out of the creek, put them in his pocket, and went down there and whooped him. Cut his head off, got the victory. But in the meantime, Saul had said, ah, whoever does that, his father's taxes will never be collected again. Well, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Amen. Never had to pay tax again? That's about the biggest raise you'll ever get. Number two, he said he'd put a gold chain around your neck. Number three, in his case, for Saul, his three-part reward was you'd get to marry one of his daughters. Huh. Did you know that David got to marry one of Saul's daughters because he killed Goliath? Huh. How about that stuff? That would have talked me into going the other way. But nonetheless, David slew Goliath and ended up with one of the king's daughters as his wife, the gold chain. And I don't know if his dad, Jesse, ever had to pay taxes again or not, but probably didn't. But in verse 8, we see that all these wise men could not read the writing on the wall. They saw it. They thought it through. They tried to make sense of it. And it was not because they weren't smart enough. It was not because the reward wasn't big enough. It was this message was not to them. God has a way of making his message very, 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 very personal. Do you know that God requires things of me that he would never require of you? And vice versa, maybe? That's the way the Holy Spirit works. That's the way it always happens. So in the verse 9, we're moving right along here. Verse 9, for the first time, everyone noticed the change this writing on the wall made in the king and in his countenance and in the way he was performing. It was day and night. Before, while he was ready to party and drink with the best of them, now he's scared out of his skin, wondering what's going to happen to him next. Amen? But none of them that were at the feast or the wise men or the soothsayers or anyone else in Babylonian territory had a solution for his issue. Well, verse 10, the queen pops up. Evidently, he invited everybody to the party but his mom. Amen? We know who his dad was, and we know he had to have a mother, so the queen would be the wife of the king. Of course, she outlived Nebuchadnezzar, evidently. So she was still queen, and she came to the banquet when she heard everyone talking about what the king had seen. She wasn't interested in drinking. She wasn't interested in partying. Wasn't interested in how many lords or wives or concubines or anybody else showed up at the party. She was probably at home watching Oprah eating bonbons. Having a great evening. And we know the queen, she had something to say. I can't say for certain, but I believe we're talking here about this queen as Belshazzar's mother, the wife of Nebuchadnezzar. She came to give advice. 
How would she know what advice, advice to give to comfort the king? Oh, she lived with Nebuchadnezzar. And she saw the dreams that he had. And she saw him shake and quake and quiver over those dreams until Nebuchadnezzar called for Daniel to come up and interpret the dreams and what the interpretation of them was. See, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he told all of his wise guys, come on up here and tell me what I dreamed. And then I want you to tell me what it means. Well, they all came up. He said, we can't tell you what it means until you tell us the dream. He said, if I tell you the dream, you can make up anything and I won't know whether it's the truth or not. I wanted the person that can tell me what I dreamed first. Then I want him to tell me what it means, and I will know that the God of heaven gave him the wisdom as to what I dreamed. None of the wise people in Nebuchadnezzar's realm could do it, but Daniel did. So she comes, and she wants to comfort the king, and from experience, she reckoned that this king, she recommended this king get in touch with the same guy that not only knew the king's father's dreams and interpreted them, but also the one that she personally lived through them with and could testify of the truth of that man's connection to the God of heaven. Not the God's he wanted to praise at the feast. The gods of gold, silver, wood, stone, E-I-E-I-O, all those false idols, they couldn't answer his problem either. They wanted a connection with somebody that knew the God of heaven and could take care of what's going on. Well, we're going to move a little faster now. So I hope you still got room on your notes there to take some more notes because in verse 11 and 12, she gave her testimony about Daniel or what he had to say about Nebuchadnezzar. She wasn't going to lie to her son and she wasn't even revealing anything to him that he probably shouldn't have already known. But Daniel did go in and help his dad. Now, I don't know if, if Belshazzar was uh, alive at that time or if his memory just got caught up in everything else and he had forgotten about the dreams his father had. Don't know all that stuff. But the queen came through and said, hey, I know a man. He can take care of it. So in verse 13 and 14, you'll read about how the king sends for Daniel and asks him if he's the, the one the queen was talking about. Sure enough, Daniel checked all the boxes to verify that he was the one that the queen was talking about that answered all of Nebuchadnezzar's issues and questions and read to him what God had for him in store. You know what he had for him in store? He's going to spend seven years out in the wilderness. You know that? His fingernails are going to grow like bird's claws. His hair's going to grow like bird's feathers. He's going to eat grass like an ox while he's living out there. He's going to absolutely lose his mind and go berserk. And after seven years, 
good things are going to happen to him. His mind's going to come back to him. Guess what he does when his mind comes back to him? He serves the true and loving God. Belshazzar evidently didn't walk close enough to his dad to get to understand what he had went through and how God dealt with him. Amen? So here we have Daniel in verse 15 and 16. He tells King Belshazzar uh, that, uh, the party, about the party situation and the handwriting on the wall. And again, he says to Daniel, I still have three things I want to offer you. What were they? Scarlet clothes, gold chain, third position in the kingdom. The reward, the same reward he offered him in verse 16 was the reward he offered to the soothsayers in verse 7. So as he steps up there and starts talking to him, uh, in verse 17, it's time for Daniel to speak up. Daniel says to him, hmm, forget the rewards. I ain't interested in your clothes. I ain't interested in your gold chain. And I'm already third in the kingdom. You just don't know it. Amen. So I would not get a promotion one way or the other, but I can tell you about that handwriting on the wall. You know how I know I can read that to you? I know what it is right now, but I want you to understand that I'm just not making this up when I say it. And the reason I'm not going to uh, just say something like that, I want you to know that I had done this for your dad, just like the queen said, just like you should have remembered, and now I want you to know that we need to get on the same track with God to understand the writing on the wall. But you've got a bigger issue in being able to read this writing and you need to measure up to what it does say in your relationship with the true God. Well, in verse 18 to 21, he tells the dream his father had and how David spoke truth to his dad and saw this truth come to pass in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He had a background of telling the truth. He had a background of being connected with God. Therefore, Belshazzar was all ears in what he had to say, knowing he'd been there and done that. In verse 23, 22 and 23, Daniel says to the king, here's your problem. Amen? First of all, you've not humbled your heart. Pride. Hmm. That stinks. I hate pride. Amen? Amen. How many of you had a boss that thought he, he, thought he was better than you because he was the boss? Hmm. Any of you that ever worked had that? Amen. Even though you watched what your dad Nebuchadnezzar went through in his life, pride still ruled your life. Now, I'm going to write a book, and Bonnie keeps reminding me, keep doing it. Got to get it written. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's not going to have a connection. I mean, Belshazzar's not going to have a connection with God in his life just because Nebuchadnezzar had one or because Daniel had one. Walk with God is an individual, personal walk you have to make for yourself. Amen. No getting around it. Amen. And if pride enters your heart, 
Don't blame your mommy. Don't blame your daddy. Don't blame the prophet. Don't blame me. Amen. What do you got to do? Look inside, see what the problem is. Amen. Because God ain't got no grandchildren. All right. Second, the thing you messed up, Belchazzar, you took the golden cups that had been set apart for the temple to be used in the worship of God, and you brought them down here to celebrate some kind of stinking drinking party and a festival and made a mockery of those cups by not only drinking wine from them, but giving wine to everybody in the party from those. You brought those cups, and it's never a good thing to mock God. Third, you praise the God of silver, gold, brass, iron, wood, stone, and not the true God that holds every breath you take in his hands. Fourth, you should have been glorifying the true God and not the gods and the idols you glorified in your wine-soaked festival that you put on for the people you thought were important. Fifth, this is in verse 24, this is why the finger showed up and put the writing on the wall. Now Daniel explains all that to him. I didn't read it, but it's all there for you to read. So in verse uh, 24, now the handwriting appears on the wall, and there's something that we've got to do to make sure we're on track with God when that time comes along. Verse 25, Daniel reads it. Nobody else could even read it. Meeny, meeny, tackle you, Pharisee. Amen. There you go. And then, of course, in verse 26 and 27 and 28, he interprets what it means. I'll read that part. It says in verse 25, And this is the writing that was written. Meeny, meeny, tackle you, Pharisee. This is the interpretation of the thing. Meaning, God hath numbered the kingdom and finished it. Kingdom for you, Belshazzar, is done. 27. Tickle. I don't mean tickle because there was no tickling about it. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. That's why we keep the balances up here. They're under here now because of make room for the poinsettias. But we'll get them back out. You know what the balances are. You ever been weighing the balance? Amen. God will weigh you in the balance. He'll have the Word of God and Spirit on one side of that balance and your life on the other side. He'll want to know, does it balance? Amen. And verse 28, Perez, or in other words, you Pharisee, it means thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. If you know the history of Babylon, you know that was the end of that territory as far as Nebuchadnezzar's family having rule in Babylon. Amen. You know the story? They had a river run through that. 
All right, what was the name of that river? Did anybody know what the river that runs through Babylon is? It was called the Euphrates River. And you know what they did at night while they were partying? Somebody was on the other side of the wall digging a ditch so that that water running through there, if you would, came up in the wall was like a dam. Okay? So only so much water could come through under that wall and that wall, if you would, hole in the wall was full of water and nobody could get through it because of the pressure of the water. So they just went upstream, dug a little trench, the water was diverted, the, wa the river dried up, and they walked right underneath the wall and took the city. Oh, that was pretty easy, wasn't it? While they was worrying about how much wine they could drink out of God's cups, the city was being taken by the Medes and the Persians. That's a shame, ain't it? Well, that's what happens. So uh, he, when he gets this, uh, writing the interpretation, it's a done deal. Get your house in order and get ready to say goodbye to everybody on this side of eternity. Verse 29, Belshazzar uh, made, on, uh, made good on his promise. He rewards Daniel with the things he said in verse 7 and 16. And Daniel didn't even care about that, but at least he kept his word to Daniel. And that night in verse 30 was his last night. God was faithful to warn the king. I don't believe there's anybody goes into eternity without a warning from God. Amen. I don't care how old or how young. I think the conscience of a person is always driven by the word of God and spirit of God before God allows that person to go into eternity. Now, I don't know if uh, the king made things right with God between verse 29 and 30 or not. I know God was faithful to warn him. Now, if he took the warning, that would have been up to him individually. But God did his part to help that king get on track where he needed to be. Now, how about you and me? Can we see the writing on the wall for us individually? One thing I can say with certainty is that God will be just as faithful to each of us as he was to Belshazzar. Instead of sending a prophet to talk to you and read the writing on the wall, most of us have our own copy of what God wrote on the wall called the Bible. And we all have access to the Holy Spirit that inspired that word. And he can inspire your interpretation of that word and the meaning it has for it. Because God has given us the two witnesses, his word and his spirit. Now the writing in the Holy Scriptures that were inspired by the Holy Spirit are the same uh, inspired words that the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart about from God's Word. And the Holy Spirit can and will interpret for all of us the writing on the wall.
The only question is, will we heed the warning before it's too late? Are we going to hold on to the physical and neglect the spiritual to our demise in eternity? I pray not. Look and listen to the writing on the wall before it's eternally too late and your soul is in the balance. We need to make sure we're on track with where God wants us to be before our life comes to an end on this side of eternity. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.